come now to the 13th judge of Israel. Uh, how many of you guys heard of that guy named Samson? Just out of curiosity. He's probably the most famous judge, and there's a lot of lessons to learn in studying his life. Um, we know that Samson, most people will think of Samson as a man with, you know, power, and there's the lesson, you know, you've got to study his life, and you'll understand about power. But uh, you know what? Today we're just going to cover chapter 13 because actually his life is covered in four chapters. And uh, we're going to see, believe it or not, his life might be, first of all, a lesson in parenting. Real interesting. Because look what we read here in Judges 13. It says, And again the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. And as you read the book of Judges, you find that this is the longest sentence the children of Israel experience. Think about that. Forty years. What we see right here is it was 40 years of oppression under the hand of the Philistines. If you were to look at a map, you would see the Philistines there on the coastland and uh, real, real vicious people. Now, here's the interesting thing about Samson. We know that they were under the oppression of the Philistines for 40 years. 20 years of that, though, Samson was the judge, but it was different than all the other judges in that Samson never got full victory. I don't know if you guys ever knew that or not. You know, we study all the other judges, and they had, you know, uh, dominion when they were judges. Samson didn't. He was just there, so it wasn't as bad. And what we see is that it's a lesson for us. You know, I don't know if you guys can relate to this or not, but there's a lot of Christians, unfortunately, that they never get that full victory, that complete victory, you know. And sometimes they might blame it on their circumstances. They might blame it on their spouse. They might blame it even on God. But it's none of that. It's, it's you. It's me, you know, especially if we're Christians, man. God has given us power. God has given us the Holy Spirit. All I know is I was looking at that, and this is a quick side note. I thought about that. Okay, 40 years of oppression, but wait a minute. Time out, Lord. You said that Samson judged for 20 years. How does that work? Well, within the 40-year time frame, there was the 20 years of Samson, but it was never a complete victory. Real interesting. God judged them 40 years, the longest sentence they had, and we see the reason why, again, there in verse 1, that the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. It's a phrase that we find seven times in the book of Judges. And if you remember, we've seen this cycle over and over again. Huh? Disobedience leads to discipline. That discipline leads them to a point of despair and then eventually, praise God for his grace, he gives them that deliverance. And what we see right here is that as they're in this 40 years and they're going through this tough time, God is now about to raise up a deliverer in a miraculous way. Because look what we read in verse 2. It says, Now there was a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites whose name was Manoah and his wife was barren and had no children. This guy, this man, his name is Manoah. We're going to read it over and over again. His name means rest. How many of you like rest? Just out of curiosity. <laughs> you know, um, uh, it's important that we recharge our batteries. It's important that we, 
you know, we rest. Um, we find our rest ultimately in Jesus Christ. But it's so cool when God brings you to that point of victory, that point of rest. What we see is that that's what God's always wanting to give us in Christ. He's always wanting to give us that. But I think that a lot of you, a lot, sometimes me, we don't have that. As you examine your life, ask yourself, honestly before God, do you have rest? Do you have peace? You know, I think we're going to learn some lessons in the book of Judges. Now, as we study the life of Samson, as we study a lot of different things that we can really apply to our life that can give us that peace that surpasses understanding, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what the temptation is, no matter what the struggles are, it doesn't matter, man. Nothing should be able to rob you, strip you of your joy, your peace, your rest as a Christian. You know, what we find right here is Manoah. His name means rest. God wants to give us that rest. This guy right here was from an unlikely tribe, the tribe of Dan, which as we study the book of Judges now will be the focus in the book of Judges all the way through chapter 18. Now, it's interesting. We don't know his wife's name, but we do know her heartache because we read right here that she was barren, that she had no children. You know, most of you probably know that the culture viewed barrenness as a shame. It was a sign of divine disfavor. That's what they thought. You know, she must have thought, God does not love me. I don't have any children. We know that in those days they saw it as a reproach. In Genesis chapter 30, verse 23, speaking of Rachel, it says, She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. Remember Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1, verse 25. Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. Here's Manoah's wife. She has no children. She's infertile. She's barren. And she's living with this social stigma. She's living with this reproach. And what we find is that God allows us to go through heartache and hard times so that ultimately we see in the end that he will be glorified through each one of our lives. Maybe you're here today and you're going through that social stigma. You're going through a barrenness. You're going through something, you know, that is just breaking your heart. You know, here we have Manoah's wife going through something similar. But God will do a work. He really will. He will be glorified. What we see is that God wants everyone to know that this couple that couldn't have kids has been visited from on high. How God has intervened. You know, as you read the Bible, things like this have happened often. Huh? Remember the story of Sarah? You know, uh, at the age of, what was she, 90 years old. Think about that, you ladies. Anyone here 90? <laughs> Having a kid at 90, man, it was totally the Lord. Or, you know, then there's Rebecca. It was kind of funny. She was blaming it on her husband. Give me kids. He's like, man, I'm not God. <laughs> but then we see that Isaac prayed. God gave her a child. Uh, we read about Rachel, Hannah, Elizabeth. And I think I should say this, though, in looking at this, because you look at these births and we're thinking, wow, what a miracle it must have been for these old ladies to have babies or these ones that were infertile to have babies. But what we find is that every birth, is miraculous, huh? Isn't that true? 
I mean, we've seen it. I was in there. I was like, whoa, this is crazy, Lord. Awesome, huh? Every birth is miraculous, and every child is custom-made with a destiny to deliver some, someone, some hell. And that's kind of like when I'm, you know, studying this right here, I'm thinking, Samson, he was a baby born with a destiny to deliver. But, Lord, then again, aren't all babies born that way? When you think about it, it's true, huh? They're all a miracle. And they are all ordained before they're born with a purpose on this planet. Isn't that true? We know that Jeremiah, the Bible says, before you were born, I ordained you as a prophet to the nations. And I'm telling you this right now, for all of our lives here, you may not be a prophet to the nations, you might be, I don't know. But I do know this, that all of us here were born with a destiny. We were ordained to do something in this world. Not just Samson, although we'll see it clearly in Samson. He's like a picture, you guys, for all of us. And we just see it here a little clearer in this family that we're focusing on. And so we read in verse 3, And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now, therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. We're going to see today the the birth of Samson and then the brawn of Samson. I was going to do two chapters because next chapter or next week, Lord willing, we'll see the bride of Samson and the bet of Samson. But today we only see the birth of Samson and the brawn of Samson. And we learn so much in studying these things. Here we see that the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman. Uh, We'll see later that this is none other than Jesus. Think about that, Jesus, right? And he tells this woman, I know you've been barren, but I also know you're going to have a little boy. And he's going to be special. He will be born to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. The angel says, I want him to be a Nazarite from the womb. Now, if you read Numbers chapter 6, you get the background to the Nazarite vow. Uh, The Hebrew word, it means consecrated. It means dedicated. And this vow, it was usually a voluntary vow, and it was usually a temporary vow. But for Samson, it was a mandatory vow, and it was a vow that would last for his entire life. Really cool how he was dedicated to God. You know, one's dedication as a Nazarite was to be symbolized in that they were to completely abstain from the fruit of the vine. They couldn't even have raisins, man, no grapes, you know, no wine, and they could not cut their hair. Think about that for a second. From a practical perspective, your whole life, you can't cut your hair, okay? Kind of think that one out. And then the third thing was they could not come near or especially touch a corpse, And so what we see in Samson, you guys, is that when one is completely called and consecrated and steeply and deeply devoted to God, 
then that one will receive power from God. And it's not real complicated, huh? You're like, Lord, I want more power. Well, then consecrate your life. Consecrate your life completely to Him. You know, and I don't know how it works out in your life. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you, you know, God's telling you, you know what? You need to you consecrate and stop, you know, the smoking, stop the drinking. I don't know what it is. And I was thinking about the hair. I'm like, what's that all about the hair, Lord? How does that work? And, you know, I, I, I searched a few commentaries. I, I couldn't really see anything in that line. I thought, well, maybe it's, you know, how we all are caught up in our appearance. You know, some girls like guys with long hair, so I don't know how that works, you know. But I don't think if you would like him if his hair was never cut. I mean, think about that, never cut, never trimmed. I mean, it was like all over the place. And here we are in our society, we're drinking like crazy. We're under the influence of alcohol and drugs. And here we are in our society, we are so consumed with our look. You know, and it's okay, you know, to take care of yourself. And, you know, you don't want to be, you know, unkept. And it's okay to, you know, brush your teeth and floss and do those types of things. Don't be consumed with it, though. I don't know. I was trying to think these vows out. And it wasn't really like, oh, the Lord gave me something clear. The main message I think the Lord is trying to say is that we need to consecrate ourselves completely to God. You know, it might also be significant to note here in looking at our instructions that the mom was to be a part of this vow as well. She was to be careful to hold to the Nazarite vow herself and then raise her son in the same fashion. Look at verse 4 again. Now, therefore, he's speaking to the woman, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. See, he's speaking to the mom. And you know, we're going to see Samson is consecrated, but his mom must be consecrated as well. You know, sometimes our kids go the wrong way, and you know, we blame it all on them. But a lot of times, they're just doing what they've seen done. They're following in our footsteps. After all, we're their greatest influence in the early days, right? And so what we need to do, I think, is learn from this lesson here. The angel is saying he's going to be consecrated and you need to be consecrated too. We need to consecrate ourselves to Christ and then our children as well because children are beautiful and they all have the potential to impact the world for Christ. And, you know, maybe you're here today. Maybe you're going to have kids. Maybe you have kids. My kids are 15 and 18, so I'm done parenting, right? Wrong. (laughs) No way, man. In many ways, it's just beginning. And I need to take this and I need to bring it to my life. Warren Wiersbe said, Each baby God sends is a gift from God, a new beginning, and carries with it tremendous potential. What a tragedy that we live in a society that sees the unborn baby as a menace instead of a miracle an intruder instead of an inheritance. I don't know about you, but I look at this right here and I see, wow, a baby born with a destiny. Here we see this woman is so blessed. She finds out she's going to have a baby 
And so she goes and tells her husband in verse 6, the woman came and told her husband and saying, a man of God came to me. And his countenance was like the countenance of the angel of God. Very awesome. But I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. And he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now drink no water, nor similar drink, nor eat anything unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. She told her husband Manoah, and um, Manoah did a couple of things that are impressive. First, he believed her. <laughs> that was kind of cool, huh? Uh, think about it, you guys. If you were, you know, you're infertile and maybe you're older in years. We don't know for sure how old they were. And your wife comes home and says, oh, yeah, I saw this, you know, dazzling man of God. And he told me a lot of us husbands probably wouldn't believe her. He believed her. Most of us probably would say, sweetheart, sweetheart, settle down. I think your addiction to fiction is finally getting to you, right? <laughs> no, he believed her. And, and secondly, I love what he did next. He prayed. He prayed for wisdom. I love this. Look at verse 8. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord. And said, Oh, my Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come to us again and teach us what we shall do for the child who will be born. I love that, huh? He believed her, and then boom. He didn't probably waste a whole lot of time. It just seems, man, he just went and he prayed. And I've always loved the words of Hannah in 1 Samuel 1.27. For this child, I prayed. Can you say that about your kids? Can you say that about your grandkids? Because you grandparents, you're just as accountable. Right? Deuteronomy 6, Deuteronomy 10, it talks about that. Can you say that you've really prayed for your children? You parents, have you ever come to that place in your parenting for whatever reason, and it might be your child's disobedience, and it might be their destiny, but man, you just knew that you needed to pray. <laughs> have you guys ever been there? I know I have. Well, I just needed wisdom from above. That's probably one of the most important parenting principles is pray for God to guide you, for God to teach you what to do with this baby who is born you know, I know I've prayed and I thank God for his promise. James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let us ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him. You know, because, you know, when looking at parenting, you know, there's some common denominators in all kids, right? And that's where the word teach right here is rooted in the scriptures. The Bible being the only authoritative parenting manual. And remember that, because you're going to get a lot of advice out there, advice from people with good intentions, and sometimes it sounds good to you, and it's not true. It doesn't matter if it sounds good to you. Well, that makes a lot of sense. I would say that in the Scriptures, God would give us everything we need to be excellent parents. You want to be a good parent? Study your Bible. Right here, Manoah prayed, Lord, teach us what we shall do. And the teaching is, first of all, rooted in the Scriptures, the Bible being our authoritative parenting manual. You know, teaching us, for example, to lead our children. 
Proverbs 29.15 says, A child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Don't leave your child to themselves. Don't expect them to work things out. They'll figure it out. No way. You lead them. Right? Whatever you do, man, don't leave them alone thinking that they'll find their way. You want to teach your children? You want to lead your children? You want to feed your children? Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. So first it's in your heart. And you shall teach them, notice, diligently to your children. Teach them the word of God diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You know, that's our responsibility as parents. To lead our children, to feed our children the word of God. You know, we need to discipline our children, right? The Bible says in Proverbs 22:15, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from them. You know, a lot of times we blame it all on our kids. Oh, I got a, I got a lemon. I don't know, whatever you might say, man. You might say something weird. I know kids are different, but you know what? God's word is true. And that rod of correction, it will drive that foolishness away. They need to, you know, remember. You know, don't just give them a little, you know, you know, a little, little slap on, you know, that they'll never, you know, remember. You know, make it hurt. Right there, the rod of correction on the seat of understanding, right? When they get older, maybe it's not going to be, you know, that physical discipline. But you need to make sure that it's something. Because if not, then we as parents are to blame for the lack of discipline in our children. You know, later on, we see this in Samson. And if you can see this as a parent right now, I think it would be so cool to really capture Samson had the potential to change the world. He did. You know, he, he did. This guy took the city gates and, he's, and, he, and he carried them 38 miles. I can't even walk 38 miles, much less carry the city gates 38 miles. I mean, the jawbone of a donkey kills the army of the Philistines. He goes and wipes out 30 guys, gets their clothes, brings them back. I mean, just so many things. So much potential. But, you know, one thing we're going to read in chapter 15 uh, when we get there. Actually, no, it's chapter 14. Um, What we find is that the Lord reveals to us how they ended up as parents. Because Samson said... He says he went down to Timnah and he saw a girl there and he, then he told his parents to get her for me. And you know what his parents said? His parents said, Miho, you shouldn't, you shouldn't do that. Oh, come on. Isn't there a better girl here in our, you know, in our village, amongst our family? But, but you know, there's a little bit more pressure. No, Samson said, I want her. So what would you do as a parent? Would you go get her? Would you say, okay, all right, if you insist? No way. But many parents let their children lead them. They compromise, and you can't. When I saw that, and when we see that, what we find is that maybe, and again, it's not all the parents' fault, 
And I know a lot of it has to do with the children's nature and kids that have, you know, the same parents. Some, you know, go good and some go bad. And it's not all the parents, but we have to assume our responsibility because when I see that, I see bad parenting. And maybe it's at least partially their fault that here was a man given so much potential to deliver the children of Israel, but his parents would not assume their responsibility. They followed him. I don't know. That's what we see, though. And what we find is that God's teaching us how to change the world. You know, we have to train our children. Proverbs 22, verse 6, train them up in the way that they should go, right? We have to make sure we don't frustrate them with injustice or inconsistencies. Ephesians 6, 4, you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Now, most people will tell you that what that verse means is you're consistent with your discipline. It's not like, you know, you threaten and sometimes you follow through, sometimes you don't. Because they know and they figure it out. And then when you do follow through once every 27 times, then you frustrate them. But when they learn that your word means something, then you won't provoke them to wrath. You won't be inconsistent and you won't be unjust. Later on, it says in Colossians 3.21, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And so all I'm saying is, man, there's a lot more about parenting throughout the Bible. And there are things that are general, but I also believe there are things that are unique to every child, things that are more personal. And what we find is that God will give us the wisdom that we need. Manoah right here prayed for confirmation. He prayed for information. Notice again there in verse 8, Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, my Lord. Please let the man of God whom you send come to us again and teach us what we shall do for the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah. And the angel of God came to the woman again as she was sitting in the field. But Noah, her husband, was not with her. And then the woman ran in haste and told her husband and said to him, Look, the man who came to me the other day has just now appeared to me. So Manoah arose and followed his wife. When he came to the man, he said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. Manoah said, Now let your words come to pass. What will be the boy's rule of life and his work? So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor may she drink wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean. All that I commanded her, let her observe. God, it says right there in verse 9, isn't that cool? He listened to the voice of Manoah. He listened to him and that the angel of the Lord appeared once again. But at this point, he didn't give him a lot of details. He pretty much just repeated what he told his wife. Again, no new information, just confirmation. And he just said, hey, you, tell your wife to be careful that all that I commanded her, she would observe. You know, and we love our children, right? And we want the best for them. And we want them to be obedient, don't you? You want them to be obedient. 
But remember, man, the best thing we can do to bring this to pass is for us to be obedient. Right? And that's what he tells the mom right here. Titus chapter 3, verse 8, it says, "Is a faithful saying, and these things I want to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. Be careful. Be careful. You know, I know we struggle with this sometimes, expecting our children to do as we say and not as we do. And it might be to the simple fact that we don't realize the origin of this command. And that's what we kind of see next. Ah, it's just a man talking. You know, it's this Manny. That's his interpretation. It's just some guy. You know, the church. I think they're off on this point. I like the other things, but not this. And right here, what we see is it's not just a man talking. Manoah and his wife thought it was just a man of God. So what ends up happening now is God then reveals himself to this couple. And this is a quick side note, you guys. The things that we're talking about, they're from God. They're not from man or manny, okay? They're from God. And parenting, it's a beautiful thing, you know, but it's a heavy responsibility. You know, God loves us, and according to Hebrews chapter 12, He disciplines us. And we need to do the same with our children. Verse 15, it says, Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you, and we will prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you offer a burnt offering, you must offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. You know, it's kind of funny how it all kind of unfolds. You know, Manoah here, he offers kind of like common courtesy of the culture, the hospitality of the meal for the messenger. He says, hey, you know what? Let me make some food, right? But the messenger says, listen, I'm not going to eat your food. Um, And most commentators will say that the angel of the Lord then suggested, instead of us, you know, grubbing, you should offer a sacrifice to the Lord. You know, instead of a meal to feed our flesh, offer up a sacrifice and appreciation for what God is going to do. So Manoah then said, that's strange. You know, he's kind of saying, now it's kind of being revealed, who are you? Verse 17, then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, what's your name? What is your name that when your words come to pass, we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? What does that remind you of, you Bible scholars, you? What does it remind you of? It reminds us of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, right? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus, just like we see over and over again, he comes so close. You know, he comes and he intervenes. The NIV translates this verse, Why do you ask my name? It is beyond understanding. The NET translates this verse, You should not ask my name because you cannot comprehend it. I mean, the name of the Lord, wonderful, incomprehensible. You know, it's something that you and I will never begin to understand. 
The same Hebrew word is used in Psalm 139, verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. You know, there are things that we understand, and there's a lot of things that we don't understand, huh? I think if we just take care of the things that we do understand, we're going to be okay. We don't have to get hung up on the other stuff. We don't have to make it complicated. We don't have to make it sophisticated. Some people, they're Christians, and they're like, man, I don't get it. Why is it that everyone else seems to have victory but me? You know, I don't see, you know, these things happening in my life. Well, you know, it's not complicated. It's not sophisticated. You do understand. I pray that you would anyways. That as you consecrate your life to God, that God will empower you. And if there's no power, then there's no consecration. You know, God is good and God is gracious and his love never goes away. But you don't have to figure out the spiritual, you know, I don't know, physics of it. You don't have to figure out, you know, the dynamics of it, man. Because some people I see, they go there and they get all jacked up. It's very simple. These are the things that God wants us to do. I believe we all kind of got to be a Nazarite, you know, from our, our mother's womb until the day we die. You know, this Samson, he's kind of like us. I believe there's just something that God wants us to do. And whether or not you know it or not, that might not even be, you know, the factor as far as, well, what are the details of my life? God, show me, you know, one, two, three. I don't know. I do know this, that in the end, if you're faithful, then you will finish. It's interesting. Hebrews 11, 32 and 33 speaks about Samson. He's part of the hall of faith. Warren Wiersbe said he was a man who had faith, but he was a man that was not faithful. I want both. We learn from his life. We learn so many things. You know, there's some things we understand. There's some things that we do understand as we're talking about the directions and the instructions of raising a child and consecrating him, consecrating me. It's not from man. It's not even from an angel. God is the one that's speaking. Because he's going to reveal himself. And he says, listen, my name is wonderful. You know, and so at this point, I think they knew there was something different about this being, but they did not know the full extent of it yet. And so we read in verse 19 that Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it upon the rock to the Lord. And he did a wondrous thing while Manoah and his wife looked on. It happened as the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. Think about that. When Manoah and his wife saw this, boom, they fell on their faces to the ground. When the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife, then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die because we have seen God. Who had they seen? God, right? It's interesting. When they offered their sacrifice to the Lord, to their absolute amazement, the angel of the Lord, um, to a certain extent, he kind of unveils his glory. And so you, if you can, visualize the fire that's going up. And I don't know, maybe it was a big fire. But then there's this man, there's something special about this man. 
You know, you're trying to figure it out. Think about this. What would you do if this guy just walked into the flame? I don't know if he jumped into it. I don't know if he flew into it. Maybe he just kind of walked into the flame. That'd be a trip, huh? You'd be like, whoa, dude, watch out. But he does, he's not even harmed. And who knows? Maybe he was just sitting there, standing there in the flame, revealing himself and his glory to them and saying, you know, I know your heartache. I know you're hurt. I got a great plan for your life. It's not just an angel. It's, it's God. You know, and that, I don't know, man, that helps to know that it's not a message from a meager messenger. It really helps me to know that it's the living, loving, sovereign, saving God who's speaking to me. God who's given me His Word. God who's commissioning me. God who's calling me. God who's consecrating me. You know, that had to kind of be revealed. And so he goes and he's in the flame. It reminds me of Daniel chapter 3. I remember when they were in the flame, nothing happened, you know. And he just kind of ascends up into heaven. And so when they saw that, and who knows, maybe there were special effects. Huh? Maybe there's these lights and, you know, things. Because it, it made them fall on their face. Whenever we see God revealing himself to men, it's the same reaction, right? And so Manoah, he knew it was God. This had happened earlier. God had appeared to, you know, uh, Gideon in chapter 6. And we know that this right here happens throughout the Bible. To their absolute amazement, the angel of the Lord reveals himself. And he just kind of walks into the flame, unheard, unscorched, glowing with glory. And then he just ascends into heaven. They then knew that this was not a man. They then knew that this was not an angel of the Lord. They then knew that this was the angel of the Lord. Capital A. And so just in case you're wondering, does this mean that Jesus was an angel? Well, not in the nature of who he was. He's not a created angel. We need to know that. But he did the same thing some of the angels did in that he was a messenger. He was a messenger. He came down as a helper, as a mediator. And this is one of those theophanies where God appears to men in the Old Testament. You know, when God appeared to Moses in the burning bush, God went with the children of Israel through the wilderness. When God appeared to Joshua, when God wrestled with Jacob, we see it over and over again as God appears to Gideon and now Manoah and his wife. So Manoah, when this all happens and he realizes that it's God, he remembers in his Bible, wait a minute, Exodus 33 verse 20, it says that no one can see God and live. And so Manoah right here thinks, oh, we're going to die. But what Manoah didn't know was that God veiled himself. He did not reveal himself in his full glory Otherwise, he would have died. And this is one of those times, you guys, where now the wife is right. Okay, so us husbands, 
We've got to swallow the pride. Look what it says in verse 23. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had desired to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have told us such things as these at this time. <laughs> the wife had a lot of sense, right? And so it says, The woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Mahana Dan, between Zorah and Eshtael. You know, as I shared with you guys earlier today, uh, today we're going to study the birth of Samson and the brawn of Samson. Both of those, I think, were rooted and are connected with the message of consecration. Consecration. You know, Samson, his name means like the sun. And he was supposed to be a light in the darkness, like the sun. You know, we read here in our text in verse 24, he grew and, and it says right here that the Lord blessed him. The Lord blessed him, you know. Without a doubt, when you compare Samson to the other judges, there was something special about Samson. Warren Wisby said, while other judges were said to be clothed with God's spirit, only of Samson is it said the Lord blessed him and the hand of God was on him in a special way. Now we read here in verse 25 that the spirit of the Lord began to move upon him. You know, if you look at your Bible real quick, Judges chapter 14, look what it says in verse 6. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. Look at chapter 14, look at verse 19. It says, And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. Look over at chapter 15, verse 14. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. Then the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. More than any other judge, we find as Samson was moved by the Spirit of God. Now, when you look at the geography there, it says the Spirit of the Lord began to move on him. And we were these random cities right here. But what it is, it's, it's putting him in position, began to move on him. When the Spirit began to call him, the Spirit began to, to just move him. It was going to be because God wanted to use him to deliver the children of Israel from the Philistines. You know, and in our life, I think the same is true. God will begin to move in us and give us desires and put us in pivotal places that we can bring glory to God and make a difference in people's lives. When you think about it, what was the secret to Samson's strength? What was his secret? Was it his long hair? Was it no grapes? Red, black, or green? No grapes? Was it that he didn't touch dead things? Was that really the secret? It wasn't really those things, huh? Those were like the tangible expressions of his heart. You know, I'm not going to drink wine. I'm not going to touch graves. I'm not going to go near a dead body. I'm not going to cut my hair. All those things were like the externals for something that was supposed to be going on internally inside of him. And I don't know if you can hear what I'm saying, ma'am, but I just pray that if you can, that you would enter in to a complete 
and total consecration to God. Don't be a two-timer. Don't falter between two opinions. You know, give your heart to the Lord. You know, that was the expression of his heart. You know, unfortunately, and most of you here probably know the story. This is why I can tell you the end, even now. (laughs) Even tragically, Samson's consecration was not complete. You know, he didn't remain in that place of absolute surrender. And we'll see that next week as we study our text in chapter 15. Look real quick. It says in verse 1, After a while in the time of wheat harvest, it happened that Samson visited Oh, I'm sorry. Chapter 14. What am I doing? Chapter 14, verse 1. Now Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. And so he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. Some say that Samson was a he-man whose weakness was a she-woman, you know. And that's what will happen. If you are not completely consecrated to God, whatever that one thing is, the devil will give it to you. And that's why we have to be totally surrendered to the Lord. Samson was a he-man with a she-weakness, and he was reduced to a crust of bread in the end. Remember Proverbs 6.26, for by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread. Some of you here probably like crust, right? (laughs) Remember when you were kids, you didn't like crust. You're like, oh, I don't want that. That's what she does to them, Proverbs 7.24 through 26. Now, therefore, listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For she has cast down many wounded. And all who were slain by her were strong men. That's why in our text, in chapter 13, verse 5, it says that Samson only began to deliver Israel. You know, we got to... Give God our heart, you guys. We've got to learn these lessons. Samson is here. God uses his life. But man, he doesn't finish the job. My prayer is that all of us here would learn from Samson. And as the Spirit of God comes upon us, as we consecrate our lives to him as, as parents, and we consecrate our lives to him for power, that God will do a great work in our life. One last thing, and we've got to close with this. Samson's name, it means like the sun. You know, and we see similarities in that he's like the sun, right? S-O-N. You always see that in the judges. A miraculous baby born to deliver a Nazarene, right? Upon whom the spirit moved in a mighty way. He was like the sun, but here's the thing. He was not the sun, right? Our Lord Jesus, God's son, the good news is he didn't just begin. What does it happen? We see in John chapter 19, what does he say? It is finished. He finished the work, man. He's washed us from our sins. He's given us the freedom over sin. Now my prayer is that you and I would enter into that victory. And uh, just as when we were born, 
with a destiny. We've got something to do, and we've got to raise our kids, and they have their destiny that you and I would learn as we study the Scriptures. And thank God for Jesus. Lord, we just come before you thanking you so much, Lord, for who you are. Thanking you so much, Lord, for your word and how we don't have to, you know, take the advice of the world, Lord. We need to reject the advice of the world, the counsel of the world, the lies of Lucifer. Father, I pray that you would help us today as we close the service with somewhere in our heart, Lord. Somewhere in our heart, we would meddle with the middle. We would not leave uh, nonchalantly, Lord. That we would not leave the same. That we would seize the opportunity we have by the encouragement of not a man of God, not an angel of God, but God Himself. You, Lord, as you encourage us today to consecrate our lives completely and totally to you. Every area, every day, every moment. And then, Lord, I know we're going to see great things happen. We thank you so much, Lord, for allowing us to be here tonight. And, Lord, we just thank you for delivering us from the oppression of the Philistines, from the oppression of the enemy, Lord. And just in case, Lord, there's anyone here tonight who still needs that deliverance, Lord, uh, maybe even to some extent as a Christian, Lord, I just pray today that there would be a cooperation, that there would be a transaction, that right now in their hearts, they would give their life to you again. And if there's anyone here tonight, Lord, who doesn't know you, who's lost and headed for hell, Jesus, let them know you died for them and that they would repent, turn from their sins and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Then tonight, will be the night of salvation. And if you're here today and you don't know the Lord and you want to give your life to Christ, that's the most important thing out of everything we've done here tonight. Man, that you, if you're hurting and you're broken and you're lost, that you would know that God loves you. Just like he saw Manoah's wife in her heartache and he met her there, God sees your heartache and he'll meet you here tonight. God is here to save. And so if you want to give your life to Jesus, right where you're at, you just pray this prayer. Say, Dear Lord, I come to you tonight, and I admit I have sinned, but I turn from my sin, and I trust in Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, and help me to live life as a Christian from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. If you prayed that prayer, or maybe you're here as a Christian and you want to do business with God, you want to surrender your life, talk to us, one of us afterwards. Man, we would love to pray with you and encourage you in that. Okay? Let's all stand. We'll close with a song.